Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. And uh, it's great to be together and to worship. In a little while, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, it's great to be together. Next week, we're going to experience baptism right here in this room. So it's going to be a great day next Sunday as well. Also on the 24th, Christmas Eve, our Christmas Eve service will be outside at 6 o'clock. So it's going to be dark. We're going to have glow stick candles, and we're going to have a great time together celebrating Christmas on Christmas Eve. I hope you'll join us. There'll be plenty of space, and so you can invite your friends. We'll have plenty of chairs out there, socially distanced, in the fresh air. So it's going to be great uh, to celebrate Christmas together. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about Christmas. Anybody else? I mean, I feel like after 2020, we need a little Christmas. Amen? I mean, we need to have a sense that maybe there's some good things that are going to happen this year, maybe the next year. Maybe there's some good things that God wants to do. Sometimes I think we, we look at 2020 and all that's happened and we're thinking, my goodness, what in the world? I just want there to be a new year. Can we just turn the calendar? Can we have New Year's Day maybe today? I think that this may be the most, people may be more excited about this New Year's Day than they've ever been about any other New Year's Day. Sometimes the thinking is, well, if we can just start a new year and start over, because man, I, the pandemic, the challenges, I mean, it's been hard in so many areas. There's been jobs that have lost, total to, jobs that have been lost, total industries nearly shut down. Uh, there's been, addiction has gotten worse, marriages have suffered. It's been a very, very challenging year. We've had severe racial tension. We've had a contentious election. I mean, I feel like, can we just start over with a new year? been a chaotic year. That's why we're calling this series we're doing this month, Christmas in Chaos. There is Christmas in chaos. And as we think about what God was doing when he sent Jesus to this earth, he really was bringing his son into a chaotic situation. It wasn't all perfect. It wasn't all nice. It wasn't all wonderful. It wasn't all sweet. It was difficult. It was chaotic, much like we feel today. You see, God has always been dealing with chaos ever since the beginning of the world. When he created everything, ex nihilo, out of nothing, he created order. And we quickly, as humans, turned toward sin and death, and chaos began right there in the garden. And it's been happening ever since. And God has been all about bringing order to chaos, even in this time. And Christmas is just about that. It's about God bringing order through His Son into this chaotic world that we live in today. So yeah, we should be excited about Christmas. We should be excited that God is bringing order into chaos as He brings His Son into this world. Today... We begin with Matthew chapter 1, and the title of the message today is Arriving in Chaos. Arriving in Chaos. You've probably had that experience where you've 
arrived somewhere and there's just chaos going everywhere. And if you've had children and you've ever come home when it hasn't been a good day from whoever was caring for your kids, you know it's what it's like to arrive in chaos. And my goodness, there's so much going on. How are we going to get this, this thing under control? Jesus arrived in chaos. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The first of the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and, and uh, Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abimelech. You're okay? Is everybody staying with me so far? You got this? All right. This is important. You're going, why is he reading all these names? We'll get to that. Aminadab, and Aminadab was the father of Nashon, and Nashon was the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, hmm. by Rahab, hmm. and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, hmm. and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abiha, and Abiha the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, my favorite name. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Josiah, of Joram, and Joram, the father uh, of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the departure to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon... Uh, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtel, and Shealtel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, whom is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And I know what you're thinking. I always skip the genealogies when I read the Bible, right? Because you've seen them. They're long, and you're like, why are all these names there? What does it matter who begat who, and how do, why do we care about that? And why are we using one of, the first, one of the only three Sundays in the month of December before Christmas to talk about genealogy? I'm so glad you asked. We have a wall in our house, and I think there's 40 or so pictures on that wall. And it's of all of the, gener all the generations that we could find in our, in our uh, family line, our family tree. And it goes back, I think, uh, six or 7,000 years, or maybe 100 years or so, right? 120 years? 200 years. 200 years. And we know some things about some of those people, and the rest were probably horse thieves. No, they weren't really. But we know some of it, and the reason we have those, those pictures is to remember what? Who we are, where we came from. Some of those people planted churches. 
Many of those people were Bible study teachers and deacons and leaders and churches throughout the generations. And we'd like to go to that wall and just remember what God has done because it kind of gives you a sense of, wow, there's a huge responsibility that 40 years, 100 years from now, they'll look up there and they'll look at our picture and I hope that they'll just say they were faithful. I hope that they'll just say they were faithful. That's all I would really like for them to say. You see, the family trees, we do this, the family trees, that shows us where we came from, and it also shows us what? God's faithfulness, which incidentally happens to be the favorite hymn of my family. Great is thy faithfulness. And so you look at this family tree of Jesus, and there's at least three things that we need to see about this family tree. What does it say about the human side of Jesus? Remember, Jesus is God and man. But there's a human side, and we've got to see this because Matthew wants us to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus, what the reality of Jesus says about God himself. So let's look, and let's make, we're going to look at three key things that are in this family tree that we need to see. And the first thing we need to see is that God absolutely is faithful in keeping his promises, even when we are not. Even when we are not. Now I'm looking out there and I see some faithful people. But I'm pretty sure if we were to get into your life story, we would find some sin in there somewhere. And I was, I was going to have a time when we could stand up and share, but let's don't do that. Um, in a few minutes you'll have the opportunity to repent before we receive the Lord's Supper. But um, I want us to understand that God is faithful to keep His promises even when we are not. Because if you look at the genealogy of Jesus, there's some crazy stuff that's going on in there, right? Remember Abraham? Abraham, the first one, the first one that God makes this promise to in Genesis chapter 12, he says, Abraham, leave your nation, leave your, the people that you're of your father's house, and go to a land I will show you, and I will what? I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I will make your name great. I will make you an incredible nation. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Remember that? That's the promise that God made to his people at the beginning of this whole genealogy. And so what happens with Abraham? Well, it turns out that Abraham doesn't have a child. So what does he do? He sleeps with the maid. He pulls a Schwarzenegger. I mean, let's be honest. It's, this is... This is if you don't know the story, don't look it up. Um, he says, God, you're not doing what I want, so I'm going to listen to Sarah, and i got to have a child, so he sleeps with a maid. They have a child. It's a disaster. But God is faithful, and he gives him a child through Sarah. He gives him Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. What does Jacob do? Jacob is the trickster. He's the conniver. He's the second born, but he steals his brother's birthright. You know the story if you don't read it in Genesis. And it, and it talks about how Jacob cheated his brother out of his birthright. Not great. And Jacob has 12 sons, right? And of those 12 sons, he really likes the sons of Rachel better than the rest of them. And so he really loves Joseph and he has favoritism in his family. As a result, the sons of Jacob, led by a man named Judah... They sell Joseph into slavery and tell their father that he's dead. I don't know which is worse. You know, he was killed by a bunch of wild animals, dead. Actually, we sold him into slavery. Um, 
I mean, this is stuff that, that happened in the line of Jesus, but yet Jacob is in the line of Jesus, as is Judah, who would later go into a prostitute who was actually his daughter-in-law, who he had wronged and bears children by her. Jacob's in the line. Jacob's in this story. I mean, Judah's in this line. Judah's in the story. It's crazy all that goes on in this line that God chooses to use because God is faithful even when we're not. God is faithful even when, and there's David, my goodness, this great David, he's known for what? Being the greatest king they ever had, but also David's an adulterer who kills the, the spouse of the one he's having an affair with. David's in the line. David's in the line. And then there's this line of kings. We'll talk about that in a minute, but they do horrible things. God is absolutely faithful even when we're not. Even in the chaos that we cause, he sends Jesus, the Christ, to his people. So as we think about Christmas, remember God is faithful even when we're not. He always keeps his promise. But the second thing we can see in this, and I love this, is that God absolutely embraces the outcast. He absolutely embraces those who have no business, and in culture, people would be saying, oh, well, they can't be church people. They can't be godly people. Look what they've done. Look at their reputation. Look at the stuff that we think they've done that they may not have even done, but we're pretty sure that they probably did, right? I mean, none of us think that way. I mean, we don't watch any of those shows on TV that cast aspersions on everyone's character, right? No one does that or watch, looks at that on Facebook, right? That doesn't happen. But that happened then, and there's people in this line, you're like, I don't know. Understand, in Hebrew genealogy, for you to, you to include a woman was really odd. It's all about the male line, right? It's all about the male line. And women were sadly not well thought of and often considered outcasts. But look at the women in this list. The first woman in the list is a woman named Tamar, who is the daughter-in-law of Judah, who was a widow, and it was required in the culture of that day that you would be, if you were a widow... To one brother, the other brother had to take care of you, and in fact had to marry you and raise up offspring through you. But Judah refused to let that happen. And so Tamar is cheated out of being cared for and being a part of what she should have had. And so Tamar uh, poses a prostitute. Her father comes, father-in-law comes into her. She bears children. Someone who you would think would never be considered to be in the line of Jesus, but there she is an apparent outcast, God redeems her, puts her in the line, gives her glory, and Matthew points that out in this genealogy. Well, if that weren't enough, there's a woman named Rahab, city of Jericho. Remember the story? Jacob, Joseph sends his, his spies in. There she is. She helps hide them. They're going to destroy the city. As a result, she is saved and redeemed when the actual uh, invasion happens she winds up marrying who? A Jewish man, and her son is a man named Boaz. Here's Rahab now in the line of Jesus, from prostitute to be in the line of Jesus. Don't you just love that? Then there's this guy named Boaz, and there's this woman named Ruth, and she's a Moabitess. She's married to a Jewish man. He dies. She's childless. She's probably 25. She hooks up with Naomi. She goes, she goes to Israel. She presents herself at Boaz's bedside. People would frown on that. That does not look good. 
that she would make herself available in that way, but Boaz, being a godly man, doesn't take advantage of her, instead redeems her and marries her, and Ruth is in the line of Jesus. You see, it's really hard to get outside of someone that Jesus would redeem, isn't it? It's really hard to go beyond that. And then there's Bathsheba. Her name's not mentioned, but she is the wife of Uriah, the mother of Solomon. Here's a woman that may not have had a choice but to have an affair with the king. She gets pregnant. She bears Solomon. Bathsheba is in the line of Jesus. You see, God is absolutely faithful to the outcast in bringing people in who have no business being a part of the people of God. She's a foreigner. Rahab was a foreigner. And then we come all the way down to this woman named Mary. And what happens? Mary finds herself pregnant, having never been with her husband. Another person that culture, if they knew, and some probably did, would cast an eye at and think, you're not worthy. But God redeems that, even though Mary had no fault in this, and it was a totally holy thing that God has done in her. God uses what we would probably set aside and think is outside of what he would do to do something amazing, to deliver the gift of the greatest king ever, the Christ. So God keeps his promises. God uses the outcasts and those with questionable character Maybe not, maybe had great character, but the but culture would reject. He uses them to do amazing things. And then there's a third thing, because this whole genealogy is almost half kings. Maybe even more than that. It's all about royalty and kings, beginning with David. And the thing that we have to see about this genealogy is that no human king can get the job done. There is no human king that can meet all of our needs. There's no human king, no person that can make us all that God wants us to be. Not even you. Because really, Jesus is king or you're king, right? Look at the kings. David was the second king. He was incredibly successful. What did David do? David conquered. He, gave, he made Israel as big as it ever was. Tremendously successful king. Tremendously God, godly king wrote most of the psalms, most of the worship for that day. But what does David do? David is a murderer and an adulterer. Solomon starts out great. He looks like he's going to be even better king. Things are going good, but he marries 700 women or 300 women. I always get it confused. There's 300, there's 300 wives and 700 concubines. The other way around, I don't know. Anyway, a lot of people that he shouldn't have married. And the Bible says that in his latter days that his wives turned his heart away from the one true God. He became an idol worshiper. He ended badly. And his sons split the kingdom, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. And after that comes this parade of unsuccessful kings, only a few of which were of any righteousness at all, that ultimately result in the kingdoms both being taken into exile. They get hauled off by the Babylonians. And then finally, by the time Jesus is born, They've come back from exile, but they are a state that's ruled by Rome. They're oppressed. That's the chaos that Jesus is born in. You see, there is no other king that can get the job done besides this ultimate king, Jesus, the Christ who was born in Bethlehem. 
So the question is, we look at this and go, wait a minute, what do I do with this? What is, how do I look at this? How do I see this amazing king? What do I do with him? The question is, will you receive your king? Will you receive him as king? Will he be the one that you follow? Will you be the one where you find your peace and your order in the midst of chaos? You see, Jesus allows chaos in order for us to respond to him. But when you think about 2020, have your has 2020 got your eyes off of your king? When you think of the virus, you think of how it's threatened your health and, and maybe threatened you financially and, and threatened your relationships and you haven't been able to be with people. Have you gotten your eyes off of your king and become terribly insecure and fearful and anxious? Is Jesus your king? When you think about all the difficulties of this year, maybe you've thought, you know what? I'll deal with my spiritual life after we deal with this chaos. No, you see, the chaos is designed to move you to deal with your spiritual life. That's what we have to keep in mind. And when we're thinking about this, will I receive my king? And maybe you follow Jesus, but maybe this year's kind of got you off track. I want to encourage you, receive him as your king. When we take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, don't take the Lord's Supper if he's not your king. He's not the one who rules in your life. Maybe you think, well, Steve, all right, I got that. That sounds nice, but here's the challenge. How do I make him king? How do I make him king? What are some areas of my life that I can think about that will help me Make Jesus Christ king. I love Psalm 37 because it talks about this very thing. It talks about what it means to make him Lord, which is even greater than king. It is God. It is the, it is the, the awesome, the royal name of God, Yahweh. It's Lord. He says this, Psalm 37, if you want to make him king, you're going to have to trust him. It says, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Let me ask you, in 2020, in December, do you trust him as your king? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Meaning, will you risk yourself for him? Is he a good king? Or do you find yourself kind of wringing your hands going, I just don't know, Jesus. I just don't know, God, if you're a good king or not. Make him king. You're going to have to trust him with everything that you have. Verse 4 of Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. At Christmas, we delight in the gift of Jesus. When you think of him, you say, I'm just so thrilled that Jesus came and is my king, even though I don't keep my promises, he does. I'm so thrilled he's my king because he brings order to my chaos. He makes it all make sense. Delight in him. We of all people should be joyful and happy, right? Because we have a king who conquers all. We don't have to worry about all the things that could happen. Verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. 
When you think of where you're going, how you're living, how you're walking, does it honor Jesus Christ? I commit my way to him when I agree to walk step by step with him. Step by step. Not, hey, I'm going to wander over here, and then I'll get back to you, Jesus, and then I'm going to wander over here, and then I'll get back to you, but I'm going to take this little detour. No, it's I'm going to follow you, Jesus, on my path. I want step by step to be right with you because I don't want to get off track because I don't want to miss what you're going to do. I don't want to live in chaos. I want to walk with you, Jesus. Verse 7, I love this. He says, Be still before the Lord. Another version say, rest in the Lord. A good way to know if he's your king is if you can rest in his presence. Or are you so worried and so keyed up and so concerned and life is so chaotic that you can't even relax? See, if he's my king, I'm trusting him. I can relax in his presence. Rest in the Lord. That's how you make him king. It's incredibly stressful to be your own king. You sit down, you lay down, and all you can think about is all the bad things that could happen today and all the bad things that are probably going to happen tomorrow. But if he's my king, I want to rest. Jesus, I'm trusting you with tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen. I might get the virus. I might lose my job. Things could happen, but you're my king. You sent Jesus to save me. The worst thing that could happen is tomorrow I wake up in your presence. Rest in the Lord. Be still. Then he goes to Medlin. In verse 8, he says, refrain from anger. Unless they really deserve it. No. Refrain from anger. I mean, if there's any year that would make you mad, it would be 2020. Right? There's plenty of opportunity to get mad at people. Let me tell you, there's opportunity every day. It's not just 2020. If you leave 2020 and go into 2021 angry, you're still, your anger goes with you. Unfortunately, wherever you go, your anger goes with you. He says, refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. See, anger doesn't help. If he's my Lord, I don't need to be angry. If Jesus is my king, I don't need my anger. I just need to trust in him as my king. And then in verse 27, and this is so important as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. The Bible says, turn away from evil and do good. See, if Jesus is my king, if if he's come to to solve my chaos, I want to shape my life like his. And to do that, I'm going to have to turn away from evil and walk with him. You see, you can't submit yourself to Jesus and do what he tells you not to do. He's not your king. Turn away from evil. Turn away from evil. Repent of evil. Repent of that sin. Allow Jesus to wash it away. Then the closing verse says this, The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. And get this, because they take refuge in Him. Where are you taking refuge in 2020? Is it just to get to 2021? 
Is it just to get through this present difficulty? Is it just till there's a vaccine? Oh, I hope not. I hope our refuge is in Jesus Christ because he's our king. I'm trusting you with my life, Jesus. When we take refuge in him, when we make him our king, he takes care of us. We have that home forever in heaven that we can enjoy. So what about you? Is he your king? Is he your king? We're going to take a moment. We're going to take prayer in just a moment. And I want to ask you to examine your heart. Is there sin in there that needs to be repented of? And one of the greatest sins we can commit is he's not our king. Will you make him your king? Jesus, I'm sorry that I've sinned. Sorry that I've gotten all anxious when you've already got everything under control. Would you forgive me? And would you be my king? Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.